listening to Songbones Podcast, where we get to the real and go to the deep with grassroots singer-songwriters. I'm Michelle McAfee. Welcome back to part two of my interview with Southern Oregon's horn player extraordinaire, Mikey Stevens. If you are just now joining us in this episode, you can check out episode 10, part one, for the backstory on Mikey. I've known Mikey for 10 years and have played a lot of music with the man. He usually keeps his thoughts pretty close to the vest, but in this episode, he throws the door wide open to us, sharing more of his musical escapades, his deep wisdom, and the event that changed his life forever. Welcome to episode 11. Is there one show that stands out in your life as being a pinnacle in your career as a player? Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of them. I've, I've had a lot of really wonderful experiences on stage with a lot of wonderful people. But mostly because of the way it came down and what we had to do to get to it. Uh, one of my best friends is uh, uh, Vince Herman, who plays with a band called Leftover Salmon. And Vince and I became very close within minutes of meeting, probably. Um, and we've had some wonderful experiences together and played a lot of, a lot of music and, and had a lot of laughs and a lot of fun, a lot of tears. And uh, Donna and I were on a cross-country trip. We went to her place out in Maryland. We had been trying for months to go see Leftover Salmon someplace, and they were always on the opposite coast of us when we wanted to do that. And so our vacation was supposed to end on the 15th, and they were playing on the 15th at Red Rocks in Colorado. And so Mikey, not being afraid of anything, um, stage-wise, I should say, because I'm afraid of everything other than that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But on stage, I'm not afraid. And um, so I got on the phone, and I called Vince, and I said, hey, you guys are playing Red Rocks. I said, if there's any chance that I'm going to sit in, I'm going to have to leave here. I'm in Maryland. I'm going to have to leave here pretty soon, and I'm going to have to practice my trumpet. And his answer was, fuck yes. <laughs> You're going to play. <laughs> yes. So, so we got in the motorhome and headed towards Colorado and went through some crazy stuff to, to get there, <laughs> including the day before we were supposed to play uh, – getting pulled over by the drug-sniffing cops in uh, Kansas who uh, wanted to uh, fill their quota or whatever by stopping an old motorhome driving towards Colorado. Uh, You look too much like a hippie. Well, he did come and take a look at me before he went back behind me and pulled me over. So, yeah, we were definitely uh, profiled and decided that we should... Maybe instead of going to Red Rocks, we should go to jail. <laughs> it didn't work out that way. And uh, wow. I did get a ticket for uh, not, being, not turning my blinker on for uh, a minimum of 100 feet uh, before I changed lanes wow. on a freeway in Kansas where there was no other cars. Wow. <laughs> so pe- so I, I, I guess I digress from the uh, no, original pe- people story. People can't see us, but Donna is back here in the background <laughs> chuckling because apparently she was 
riding shotgun with you. Uh, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the uh, the nice officer said uh, said, uh, "Okay, well, you sit in my car with this big snarling, drooling German shepherd over your shoulder while I go talk to your partner." And he went up in the motorhome and talked to her to see if our stories matched and all of that stuff. And all the while, I was sitting in the car going, "Okay, I'm." I'm not going to Red Rocks. I'm going to jail. Yes, I am. I'll, I'll be in jail in a few hours here. Okay, going to jail now. And uh, didn't work. Yay. <laughs> they missed me. I'm the luckiest <laughs> guy that ever lived. <laughs> so uh, anyway, the whole Red Rocks experience, The uh, we actually got, we were following the band to Red Rocks and took a wrong turn and got lost on our way to Soundcheck. Lots and lots of strange things happened to get there. We finally got there and it was like, okay, jump in the van because you can't, we can't get any closer. You got to ride the van up with all your stuff. So get all your stuff like now. And here we go. Be be ready to be gone. So boom, we, we, we went. And, just to, to to be in that hallowed hall where everybody that's everybody and a bunch of people that are nobody have played there, and mm-hmm. it's just like wow, and uh, and they've they've all left their mark on it in some way, shape, or form, other than the the echoes in the in the rocks. But uh, whew, just uh, just to be there where there's a tunnel in Red Rocks. That goes from uh, backstage up to the audio-video booth, which is in the center of the main first tier. After uh, we finished on stage and spent a little time in the dressing room with uh, some libations, um, Vince asked us if we wanted to go see the tunnel. And, of course, everybody wanted, they didn't know what the tunnel was, but we all wanted to go see it. <laughs> and... Uh, so there was a posse of about maybe maybe 10 of us or something like that. And we walked up to the tunnel, and there's these two seven-feet-tall, 400-pound guys with their arms crossed in front of the tunnel, just standing there. And Vince walks up to him and goes, Hey, we're going to go up to the booth. We want to go through the tunnel. And they both just shook their head. No, you're not going through the tunnel. And Vince goes, uh, It's... Uh, huh, it's... It's, it's it's me, Vince. You know, uh, the guy that was just right there in the middle, singing. The guys are like, no, you're not going through the tunnel. Tunnel's closed off. Can't go. And from the back of our little pack comes the voice of this little angel who's four feet tall, dressed in white from head to toe, just a beautiful young hippie, flowing lady, who says, "Would you like my help, Vince?" And Vince goes, "Yeah." And all she had to do was show her face and nod, and the doors opened wide, and we got to go in the tunnel. <laughs> Whoa, was she a fairy, or did she I really don't know. exist? She was just a little angel wow. just assisting us. Cool. Um, now, actually, I think she was either the wife of the promoter or the owner, uh-huh. one of the two, because <laughs> uh-huh. she got stuff done. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, you walk into this tunnel, and... It's dingy. It's it's just carved out of rock. There's electrical wires running all along it. There's funky old light bulbs. It's dark, dingy, a little damp. 
and everybody that's ever played there has signed the walls. <gasps> no way! <laughs> and, and so everybody's got Sharpies and magic markers, and, you know, there's the Beatles, and there's the Stones, and there's, <sighs> you know, just every, any, anybody that's been there. And we're, we're about halfway up the tunnel, which is just right straight up the, wa- the rocks. And Vinny turns around and looks at me, and he goes, you know, Igor Stravinsky played the Rite of Spring here. <laughs> it's like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> Does it get any cooler than that? You wow. So, anyway, that, that, that whole evening sticks out as uh, just uh, an amazing experience. What uh, is it what? like playing on Red Rock stage? It's, it's surreal. The, the whole thing, the sound check is surreal because the sound is so incredible. It's so good, and it's natural, you know. I mean, they do have the $5 million Meyer sound system in there, too, and they've got the guys that know how to work it, and so that's all perfect. Um, but once the, the crowd starts to assemble, and they, they come early, and they all have to walk all the way up the hill to get there, they park way down below, a lot of times it's raining. In fact, it rained cats and dogs right before. We, I mean, it was like, is this performance going to go on? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, it's Colorado. It just does this. You know, uh-huh. it's going to rain for a while, and then it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And um, they had to squeegee off the entire seats for 9,000 people because they were just totally covered in water. Awesome. You know, so they're out there with brooms and squeegees, and they're squeegeeing in the whole amphitheater. Whoa. And uh, And then... Then the winds came up. It got really windy, and so the 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 opening band was. I mean, they were like getting blown away on the stage. It's like whoa! Mm. And um, but but uh, by the time we got out there, it was a perfect Colorado evening, and the skies were. Yeah, you know, it's 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 magical, and it's it's just it's a it's a real thrill to, to see nine thousand people sitting right straight in front of you, just all the way up to the. And these beautiful rocks that are that are lit up and wow. uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was definitely one of the highlights of of my life. I'm originally from Colorado. I went to um, elementary school in Netherland, and uh, my folks built a log house in Coal Creek Canyon up there. And the very first concert I ever went to was Red Rocks, and. It was the concert that burned into my being. I want to do that. And, you know, I was with a bunch of adults. I wasn't that old. I mean, I was a kid. And what you described is what I remember from that age of looking around at these glowing rocks and, like, all these people and this strange exotic smell of this kind of smoke that was in the air and the like the lights and the stage and everything was just bigger than life and i was just captivated by it and it 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 really kind of set a course for me for the rest of my life and yeah i've never stood on the stage i've never looked at it from the other perspective but I'm pretty sure I could speak for a whole bunch of musicians out there that, man, just to know what it's like to be on that stage and to play that stage. If, if I had to pick one stage on the planet, big stage to play, it would be that one. Yeah. 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 Here's an interesting little side note on that. Um, and this ties back to me never being afraid to play music. 
our rehearsal for that gig, I sat in for one song, so I didn't play the gig. The rehearsal was hang out in the green room, smoke a lot of weed, eat a lot of food, watch leftover salmon go on stage, stand in the wings, taking in the whole experience. The other band that was playing that night was Railroad Earth. Mm-mm. And so oh. two of their, the, the, the violin player, and uh, their, I believe he's maybe even a keyboard player. Uh, he plays something other than saxophone in that band, but he's a saxophone player also, and he's a great saxophone player. Um, they were involved, uh, although I didn't necessarily know that. And uh, the night before... Uh, we had spent the night with, with Vince, and, and uh, he played me a song that, that he had recorded with uh, Great American Taxi. And uh, he says, uh, this, is, this, is, this is what we'll do. I was like, okay, cool. So our entire rehearsal for that gig was Vince walking off stage after they had just finished the song. He's kind of ran over to the side of the stage he looked at the three of us who had just met each other, and he goes, don't come out until I start singing the second verse. And that was our rehearsal. Are you serious? That was it. That sounds That's, that's all we knew. That sounds terrifying. No, it was, it was wonderful. <laughs> and, and one of the reasons it was wonderful was because some people would think that maybe they were cheering for the guys in Railroad Earth, but I think they were cheering for me because I had a pink hat on that my Donna it was Donna's hat but it was pink. If you watch the videos on YouTube as soon as that pink hat showed up on stage people started to cheer. Awesome. So I'm pretty sure it was I'm going to find that video and post it it's, on the spotlight page. There. That's we'll do awesome. that. It's fun. That was a real fun experience. Here's a little song I wrote for you. I know it's not much, but it's the best that I could do Well, I didn't have much that I needed to say Except I love you more today than I did even yesterday When my life is over and my love has been declared I hope that you remember me As one who really cared So here's my song That I wrote for you Well, I know it ain't much But it's the best that I could do And I didn't have much That I needed to say Except I love you more today than I did even yesterday
almost a year these podcasts for song bones and um, what uh, a lot of the listeners don't realize with me I sound nervous a lot or scared because I have a a waiver in my voice um, maybe I am scared or nervous but uh, it actually came from being diagnosed with a tremor a vocal tremor that uh, started to come on in 2011 and a couple years ago actually took my voice and I had to stop gigging for about a year, year and a half. And yeah, I was able to kind of come back from it and learn a new singing technique uh, to the point where I could at least gig and without pain and get through sets and, um, and still do what I love to do. Uh, but the voice you know, at best, I've only got maybe 70% of what I used to have. Yeah, it was really intense going through that experience of losing the thing that has brought me the most joy through most of my life and losing my instrument, losing my tool to be a songwriter, my tool to be a performer. And it was deep. It was it was really uh, scary and... Um, and it was really sad. I was really sad for a couple of years there when I, I thought that, um, that I wasn't going to be able to sing it again at all. Um, the vocal doctor literally prescribed weed, Valium, and wine and said, try these before you go on stage and you'll probably be able to get through a show. I was like, oh, I'm doomed. I am so doomed. I can barely function on wine. <laughs> um, so... Um, I know that you, a couple years ago, went through something that was and is entirely uh, bigger than what I've been through, and uh, I wondered if you would be interested in telling that story. Sure. It's um, yeah, it's it's an it's a hard spot to be in when you've had to give up what you do best, what you love most. Um, and there's, you know, thoughts of what now. Um, and uh, I've had a lot of time to think about it. It, it happened uh, two years ago. Uh, um, Super Bowl Sunday, 2017. Um, I was... Uh, standing in the kitchen, 
hugging my sweetheart Donna and not paying any attention to the football game at all because I don't care about football. But um, I said something happened, and I couldn't describe what had happened, but something had happened, and I didn't... It's like within a short period of time, I started slurring my speech. Um, and I don't exactly remember what else happened that night, but it was very much symptomatic of I may have had a stroke. Um, so we thought possibly a, a mild stroke and, you know, take two aspirins and call me in the morning um, was appropriate. Uh, and then in the morning, it it wasn't any better. And then it continued to get worse. Uh, and uh, so uh, over a period of next several weeks, I, I was unable to swallow, um, lost 61 pounds because I couldn't eat. Um, didn't want to go to the doctor because I hadn't been to one for 66 years, so what's the point in going now? Um, and I'm also a, a firm believer in reincarnation uh, because I've seen too many young musicians that are way too young to have learned or have any other way of being able to do what they do with, without having been here before. Um, and I believe in karma. And I believe that if you do good things in this life, that the next one will be better. And so I'm, I'm not afraid of death in any way, shape, or form. And, and I had pretty much decided that maybe that was the way I should go. Just uh, lay me down in a pile of my, my pretty guitars and trumpets and <laughs> put a big smile on my face and, and uh, call it good. Um, but uh, Donna had different ideas. She didn't like that idea very much, and so she convinced me to uh, to go to the to the emergency room, where uh, spent many hours and probably about a thousand dollars, and referred me to a neurologist at some point in town down down the road, which had I waited much longer there wouldn't have been a road to go down um, the disease that I have is called myasthenia gravis um, it uh, took a, a long time to diagnose but um, it's a disconnect between the muscles and the nerves and so if you can imagine your brain tells your nerves to tell your muscles to do something and they just won't do it and um, it affects all of the involuntary muscles in the body. So uh, sight, um, swallowing, blinking, um, the ability to hold your neck up, um, and ultimately uh, breathing. So had I waited any longer, I would have stopped breathing. But uh, again, being the luckiest man that ever lived, while I was in the hospital and people were trying to figure out what was wrong with me, a on-call neurologist walked in the room and looked at me and had some thoughts and looked at my chart and thought, hmm. And he said, myasthenia gravis, I don't know anything about it, but my partner does. I'll tell him about you. And I think it was about a day later that about 11 o'clock at night, here comes this strange doctor into my room. Came in and, and became my doctor, and he turns out, studied under the man that wrote the book on this disease. Oh, wow. So um, another 
fortunate coincidence, he says. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, anyway, he was a wonderful doctor, and had I listened to him, I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have taken me this long to get to where I am, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to be that guy hooked up to a machine for days and feeling like crap for days. And, you know, it's like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm ready to go. So, so I resisted a lot of the medical stuff that he, he wanted me to do, and, um, which I might say I'm doing now and doing much better. So I would have done much better much sooner if I'd have listened to the man. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's back to, you know, a series of challenges that we have to overcome in our lives. They, you know, they happen all the time. And uh, us lucky ones get through them and we figure out how to handle them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when there's a period of time when you can do literally nothing, um, you you learn to appreciate the love of, of a, another human being and all of the other human beings that love you. Um, and uh, give you a reason to to want to stick around, and uh, mm -hmm. so I could sit here and have a pity party for myself, or I could enjoy all of the little wonderful things that happen every day, and that's what I choose to do, mm -hmm. you know. And again, to share love and music and laughter and tears. Um, that's what this is all about. Mm -hmm. Pretty sure that uh, nobody ever died wishing they had made more money and worked harder. You know, they all they all wish they'd have spent more time with the people they love. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what uh, that's what feeds musicians. I think, and none of us get enough of it anymore. The world's too busy. We know too much about everything that we didn't used to know about, and. Uh, it consumes your mind, and uh, it's so nice to just sit with a friend and and just be. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, make that time. Mm -hmm. Just take the time to. Uh, I have very very few regrets in my life, um, and uh, one of them goes back to me being able to spend the summers at the cottages with my grandparents, who I adored. And uh, there was a period of time when I, I, I was working in a, in a, in a show band uh, and, and living at the cottage. And uh, every night, uh, we worked seven nights a week, so every night I'd have to drive 30 miles and, and go play music. And I'd get home early in the morning, and then I'd get to spend the day with my grandparents. And so I, uh, every night before I left, I would go tell Grandma that I loved her and give her a hug. And uh, that was just what I did. I always did it. And uh, one night I was, uh, I was really late, and I didn't have time to go tell Grandma I loved her. And so I just drove by and I just waved at her on the way out and she waved back at me. And she died that night. So don't ever, don't ever miss that opportunity because you'll regret it. Thanks. Can I have one of those? <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to be editing a bunch of this out because. <laughs> okay, let's laugh. But no, good. I'm not afraid yeah. to go deep. You no, know? I, and yeah. I think that, especially in the world we live in, it's this text five words and you're done. You know, it's like. But in these last two years, um, you have really helped me see how we have a choice in our darkest days and when things are so difficult, you know, that you have a choice of how you work with that and how you put that back out into the world, that experience. And watching how you moved through this incredibly difficult time of not playing your trumpet, not being able to play guitar as often as you would like to. And you still smile more than anybody I know. And your attitude is really profoundly positive. And you always are saying, I'm the luckiest man in the world. I'm the luckiest man in the world. And the thing is, Mikey, it's not bullshit. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. so real coming yeah. from you. And to witness somebody taking this incredibly difficult experience and finding the love, finding the light in it, and sending that back out into the world. And that, my friend, is a deep gift. I mean, don't get me wrong. You still bust my chops. Yeah, and I You're the I first will one to say, will to. you please tune that goddamn guitar? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Yeah. I almost said that during the concert last night a couple times. But I, well, I, now you have perfect I, I pitch, right? <laughs> is, that's like another gift that has come of this. Uh, you didn't yeah. have perfect pitch. Yeah. Before this, no, right, and now you have perfect pitch. Yeah, it was, it was, it's a, it's a curse, but that's uh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll accept it because <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever. Well, I'm, in fact, I know you have uh, sat in a circle with uh, seven other guitar players, and if I do that now, I can tell you which string is out of tune on every guitar. Yeah, and usually there's several of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I, um, I, there was a period of time when uh, something happened in my brain, uh, probably to compensate for my loss of sight, uh, which I've heard happens, um, that uh, I went, uh, I, I got super hearing, um, and the, the ability for my brain to multitask like never before um, I was sitting at a concert with uh, at a table, a round table with ten people around it, and then around us were five other tables with ten people around them. So basically, about sixty people that were within my range of hearing. And not only could I hear all of their conversations, but I could track every one of them. So I could tell you that this couple over here was talking about that, and this people over here were this guy, and this guy just cried because of what happened on the stage, and it was so wonderful. And, you know, all of this stuff that when you're on a stage looking into bright lights, you don't see and you don't hear and you don't get all those reactions. But I, all of a sudden, I got them all at once and, and was able to just, like, soak it all in, which was quite incredible. Wow. Um, that's so was, neat. That was my Stephen Hawking moment. Kind of. <laughs> I, I, felt, I felt like a genius for 
for a few days and and that the the tracking thing well i haven't been in that situation and i, I really haven't tried mm-hmm. so i i'm not real sure but but i did go from good relative pitch to perfect pitch and wow <laughs> wish that had never happened <laughs> oh man because now every time I listen to a recording of me play flat, I know it was flat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and trust me, I've done my share. <laughs> uh-huh. I think we all have. Southern Oregon, you, you're like, you're like our local star, you know, um, you've played, sorry, okay, I know that you hate things like that. Um, you are very well loved in Southern Oregon. I do know that. Um, yes. And yes. you've played with a lot of people around here. You play a lot with Alice DiMaselli and you've played with Gypsy Soul a lot, um, yeah, you did like years of gigging with these folks here. And then I think everybody, I don't know, I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for the ones I've spoken with, who we've all learned from you. You have this experiential knowledge as a musician that you have freely shared with us. We don't necessarily want to hear it in that moment, <laughs> but it's always at the perfect moment. I feel really blessed to have been able to play shows with you and I had you on my second record with Duke and Frankie with the crazy like <laughs> Portland trip I brought you guys to Portland that was so much fun I think you guys had this whole other experience I brought you up and put you up at the Doug Fur Lounge but somehow Voodoo Donuts had something to do with it and something happened after I went home. I don't know. Maybe that's not a story you can tell. I, yeah, well, there were, there were drugs and alcohol involved, if that uh, if that helps the story at, at <laughs> <Sure>. all. <laughs> all I know is you all came dragging into the studio the next morning and uh, Jeremy, the producer, completely, I think Frankie got worked so hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we we hit that trip pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, though. Yeah. Yeah. But what what do you love the most about playing with singer-songwriters? What was it that got you jazzed up about that, you know, versus playing in big bands? or? Um, well, one thing is there's a lot more of them here than there are big bands. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> No, you know, the the thing is that um, there was a period of time, and, you know, pr- probably almost nearly maybe 20 years, where I, I didn't play music. Um, and uh, I, I actually went to work for a living and stuff like that. Uh, 
But um, when I came back to music after that time off, <clears throat> up until then I had pretty much played the notes that were put in front of me on a piece of paper. And when I decided to play music again, I decided I was never going to do that again, that I was only going to play what I felt. And that changes from moment to moment. You can't put that on a piece of paper. And, uh, well, first of all, they had to pass the Mikey audition, which is, I hear lots of them. And I don't want to work with lots of them. Mm -hmm. But the ones that I hear that I, that I know, I know immediately. And uh, in the case of Alice, it was really funny because... I had this idea of what she should sound like, and I, I mean, I knew what her voice was and all of that, but I had this idea of if I were a producer, what would I do with Alice? So I got a cassette tape from Alice of one of her performances, which it was just her and her guitar, and then I produced it, and I added me and all these different instruments and stuff, and she hated it. <laughs> she is. <laughs> Ah, I hate the electric guitar. Oh, God, a synthesizer? Oh, God, no, get that off my... So, um, so it was a, a little bit of a rough start. <laughs> so I just zipped it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I found the beauty of two guitars and, and a voice or two, and, uh, mm-hmm. or, or a guitar and a trumpet or whatever it happened to be. And... Mm-hmm. and just you know for me it's it's the ability to be able to be free and to play whatever i want mm-hmm. you know um that's that that was pretty much it you know it ain't bad if you're a guy and you spend your whole life hanging out with pretty girls that sing real nice <laughs> you know so <laughs> well i know i've seen you and alice play a lot and you two had real chemistry like it, there was real, um, yeah. real heart and real chemistry, just a real beauty in the music that the two of you made together, just the two of you. Yeah. I mean, it was always great when other band members were there too, but there was nothing like the magic of just you and Alice. I think a lot of us walked away just being like, wow, we just saw something really special. Yeah, well, you can't spend that many years riding in a small car with a woman and a dog <laughs> and not have something special. Yeah. You know, we spent a lot of time on the road. We did a lot of traveling. We I always called myself Alice's best girlfriend. <laughs> nice. So. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, she's definitely one of my best girlfriends too. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, we we had a lot of fun together. Mhm. So the other day I was looking at this nice, ripe, juicy tomato and thinking, what good is it if there's no one here to taste it? What good is a view if there's no one there to see it? What good is a song? What good am I without you? What good is 
air if you can't breathe What good is water that you cannot drink What good is a song if there's no one here to hear What good am I Good am I without you? Mikey, this has been a joy, as it always is talking to you, but this particularly has been a joy just to hear your stories. And yeah, I'm so grateful that you wanted to do this podcast and and tell others your stories and share some of this amazing life that you've lived. And I'm just really grateful that you're in my life, grateful for all that you've taught me. And I am so excited to see what the rest of the journey holds. Yeah, me too. I love you. Love you too. Thank you so much for this. Mm The kitchen sounds you heard in the background were Donna sipping a glass of wine and poring over the month's bills. I invited her to sit in on the conversation and offer her perspective, but Donna is even less excited about talking publicly than Mikey is. So I asked her, off mic, if there was one thing she could share with us, what would it be? And She said one of the hardest things for her throughout this experience has been watching Mikey's friends and fans walk up to him and say, hey man, how you doing? When are you going to play again? When's your next gig? She paused for a long moment, eyes filling with tears, and said they just don't get it. They just don't get that he won't ever be able to play his trumpet again. And it breaks my heart. We're going to break from our usual format in this episode and leave you with one of Mikey's last recorded performances with Paul Turnipseed on guitar Jeff Attica on upright bass, and Mikey Stevens on vocals and trumpet. You can find the video of Mikey with leftover salmon at Red Rocks on the Spotlight page at songbones.com. And if you like this podcast, share it, leave us a review, or click the like button wherever you get your podcasts. One click can make a huge difference in the podcast world. Stay home, stay safe, stay positive, and stay tuned for Songbones podcast next episode, as soon as we can sort out how to record remotely from our living room to yours. See you next time.